Do you guys remember the Apollo 13 space mission? I'll confess, my memory of it comes almost entirely from a major motion picture entitled Apollo 13. Do you remember the basics of the movie, the basics of the mission? The crew was on what was by then thought to be a relatively routine mission to the moon. And in the middle of the flight, there was an explosion in one of the oxygen tanks. Not only was the ship damaged, but the crew was losing life-giving oxygen. And as the story unfolds, hundreds of people back on Earth worked tirelessly to find multiple solutions to try to bring these men back home to Earth safely. And there is one scene in the movie as... The astronauts are preparing to re-enter the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, The scene is at mission control. And there are two men that are talking in hushed tones. Now, what what could go wrong at this point? Well, uh, they could burn up as they come back through the atmosphere. Or maybe as they get into the atmosphere, the parachutes on uh, the pod don't open up. And in the middle of this conversation, the head of mission control interrupts these men and he says, excuse me, gentlemen, but I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Life doesn't always go according to plan. It's not always what's on the itinerary or the schedule. Many times life is measured by how we respond when we're thrown a curveball When something happens that we didn't even know was possible, when crisis or challenges hit us, so much of life is really about how we respond, if we get up, how we get up, when we get up and move forward. Life is so much about how we respond. And this passage in Exodus chapter 5 and into chapter 6 is really about the responses of people, the response of Pharaoh, the response of the people of Israel, the response of Moses, and even the response of God. And as the tension and the enmity and the strife continues to grow and unfold between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, between the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and the false gods of the Egyptians and Pharaoh... The responses range all across the board. There are responses that are tragic and realistic and understandable and disappointing and powerful. And as we see these responses in this passage, my hope is that we can see our tendencies, our struggles, and most importantly, the gracious and loving response of God toward us in our lives. So we're, we're ramping up to this ultimate standoff between Moses and Pharaoh, between God and Satan. And this is uh, one of the early rounds of that standoff. So the first thing I want us to th- see this morning is Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh's response was a response of fear. We've talked about this before. A few months ago when we began our study of Exodus, remember Pharaoh responded in fear in Exodus chapter 1. When he was afraid of the people of Israel, he responded 
by making harsh work policies and practices for them. He responded by implementing a plan of genocidal murder for all the Israelite male children. That's been 80 years ago. Maybe it's the same pharaoh, maybe it's a new king over Egypt, but whoever it is, they have the same worldview. And so he responds to Moses and Aaron with anger and disdain and injustice. Let's look for a second at getting the right message. So we see Pharaoh responds with fear, but Moses and Aaron, they bring him the message from God. They bring him the message. And these look like good steps. They look like a good sign. Moses and Aaron are acting in faith to deliver the message to Pharaoh But it's interesting to note in the first few verses of chapter 5 that there are a few things missing. Kids, have you ever played that game where you sit in a circle and you tell your neighbor something and then they're supposed to tell their neighbor, some people call it telephone or gossip and and the message goes all the way around and it gets to the end and that story and that message is almost always just a little bit different than how it started. And in here, in this passage, um, God gave them very specific instructions about how to come to Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us go three days into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And it may seem like a small thing, but the message and the method that Moses and Aaron used with Pharaoh is a little bit different than what God originally said. God said to bring the elders of Israel with them. There's no indication that the elders were there. And the words, though they're generally the same, they are a little bit different. That's one of the same problems that we see in Genesis chapter 3, right? Remember, they said that... We shall not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we can't even touch it. They added just a little bit to God's word in that instance. And it's it's easy for us to try to freshen up God's message or to soften the edges. But what we're called to do is read it and communicate it and hear it and respond to it the way it comes to us. The right message from God himself. Even though uh, Moses and Aaron seemed to change the message a little bit, Pharaoh got the message. He understood what they were trying to say, and he didn't like what he had to hear. And he responded uh, in several ways. One, he said, who is the Lord? Now, Moses had heard of Yahweh. He'd heard of the God of the Israelites, but this means something more like, I've never seen him work. I don't know him personally. Who is this Lord? Who is this God that you speak of? And I will not let the people go. Another thing that he shows in this excessive show of force is you're wasting my time. Moses and Aaron, why are you even here? You're skipping out on work. You're taking the people away from their work. He goes on to call them lazy liars. He says, you're idle, and in verse 9, he regards these as lying words. So Pharaoh's basically saying, your desire to go to worship your God in the wilderness 
is simply a ploy for you to get out of work. And as a parent, I have to admit, there are times when I've uh, challenged my children as being lazy because I really didn't know what was going on. And that's one thing it's easy to do. When we don't know someone's purpose, we just say, well, they're being lazy. And that's what, that's what Pharaoh does here. He calls them lazy liars, and he raises the stakes. He raises the stakes. His plan was simple. I won't let the people go. Instead, I'll make life worse for them. They'll have to go get their own straw in order to make bricks. That was something that apparently the Egyptians provided for the Israelites as they made bricks. And Pharaoh said in verse 10 in this deeply arrogant way, mocking the Lord, thus says Pharaoh, I'll not give you straw. Go and get your own straw. But the quota and the amount of bricks that you have to make will be the same. Now, we all know why we need straw for bricks. No, actually, we don't. Um, I didn't know. I'd forgotten, or maybe I'd known before. But straw acted as, as kind of a, a bonding agent. It helped hold the bricks together. So they would, they would go and get mud from the Nile, the Nile River, from, uh, and it was filled with clay. Maybe like that gumbo... Uh, clay that we know about because we live close to the Mississippi River. And they'd use the the straw to help hold it together and they would bake the bricks in the sun. So the same amount of bricks, you take the straw, you have to go get it for yourself. And uh, Pharaoh responded in fear. He responded in fear because he had little fear of God in his life and in his eyes. And what can we learn from Pharaoh's response? What are some of the things that we can learn and understand? Well, we can remember that because of Jesus Christ and his gospel, we don't have to be controlled by fear. We don't have to live by fear. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we see the way that Pharaoh responded, we see some of that in us. This kind of wrong fear is not in line with the gospel, but it creeps in, doesn't it? What are the areas in your life where fear and an over-angry response creeps in? What are the situations when you're tempted to respond in anger and frustration, blowing your top because life isn't going your way? I think most of us would be ashamed to say that many times it's with the people that we love the most that we lose it. My friend J.B. Watkins is a pastor in uh, New Orleans at St. Rock Church, and I heard him preaching a sermon once, and it cut me to the heart and he said how will our children believe that God is a God of love and compassion if we are angry all the time one of the things we can learn from Pharaoh's response is in us learning how to respond and live not by fear but by faith help us Lord the people's response how did the people respond well They responded in fear. Pharaoh's henchmen put this plan into into practice. They put it into place. 
And the foremen of the Israelites, the leaders of God's people, the workers, they came to Pharaoh and they cried out to him, why would you treat us like this? We're working like dogs, we're beaten, we're abused. We can't be expected to do what you're asking. And Pharaoh responds in the same way, idol, idol. This whole sacrifice thing is a joke, it's a ploy, it's an excuse for you to get out of work. And then he comes on with these strong imperatives. Go now and work. No straw. You must deliver the same amount as before. How did the people respond? Look at chapter 5, verse 19. They saw that they were in trouble. When Pharaoh wouldn't listen but raised the stakes, they knew they were in trouble. They recognized the situation wasn't looking good for them, as my brother Eric likes to say, it's not a pretty picture. And it's natural, it's normal, it's okay to recognize situations that are difficult and challenging. It's how we respond that makes the difference. How did God's people respond? It's your fault. We've all heard those words in different settings in our lives. Maybe we've said them before, they can hurt so badly, they can be so easy to dish out. But part of the response of God's people was to blame Moses and essentially God. And as the foremen are coming out of this meeting with Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron are right there waiting. And they may have been ready to say, how to go? Before they can get the words out of their mouths, they say, to Moses and Aaron, the Lord look on you and judge you because you made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you put the sword in their hands to kill us. They basically say, God, may God judge you because you have written our death sentence. You made us stink to them. What a, what a powerful picture. And you know what? It's not all wrong. It's true that the work of Moses and Aaron did bring negative consequences on the people of God. And in chapter 6, it says that their spirits were broken and they endured slavery. Part of me gets it. They were afraid. They felt hopeless. They don't know how to go on. They lashed out at Moses and Aaron, God's representatives. And we also read in chapter 6, verse 9, that they did not listen to Moses who brought them the words... Of God. They blamed the leaders and they couldn't seem to hear and respond to God's message to them. What can we learn from their response? First of all, I think we can learn this having and expressing fear and anger and frustration about your life to God or to spiritual leaders is okay is not the end of the world or the unpardonable sin. When they didn't respond to Moses and God's promises, God didn't write them off. God didn't forget about them. He knows our hurts. He knows our pain. He knows our struggles. He remembers that we're dust. Secondly, With those questions, those struggles, even that anger toward God, we should seek to move toward 
humility and repentance and acceptance. And we can say, I'm sad, God. I'm hurt, Lord. I don't know how to move forward. My spirit is broken. My heart is shattered. What do I do next? How can I begin to pick up the pieces? I'm not sure. Help me to trust you. Maybe it's in those times when we reach the end of our ropes and we don't know how we're going to move forward and go on. Maybe it's in those times where we lean into the loving arms of God and trust Him even in the darkness. So if you have questions, if you're struggling with your life or circumstances or even blaming God, I want to challenge you to bring those struggles to Him. What about Moses' response? How did Moses respond to the, to the challenges that he faced? Well, it says it in verses 21 and 22. Verse 22 says, Then Moses turned to the Lord. That's good. We're called to take, take it to the Lord in prayer, right? Well, he did turn to the Lord. The way he turned to God wasn't exactly the most healthy way. First thing he says, Why? He blames God, verse 22. Why have you done evil to this people? That's maybe the strongest charge that we could bring against God. Why have you done evil? Do you remember Mark chapter 4 when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and this big storm comes up and they wake him up and they say to Jesus, don't you care that we're dying here? Jesus could have responded by saying, you remember why I came. You know why I'm here. I came to give and offer you everlasting life. I'm here to deliver you from your sins. Of course I care. I love you. I'm here for you. Trust in me. So Moses is here thinking the same way the disciples thought. Nothing's gone well since this thing started. Nothing is going right. Why did you send me, God? I love the end of verse 23. You haven't delivered your people at all. You haven't delivered them even a little bit. Again, God knows. He understands. He can handle our why questions. But how can we shape those questions in faith and not fear? One of the other things that God, that Moses responds to God is in verse 12. We didn't read it, but basically he says, look, God, they don't listen to me. Pharaoh doesn't listen to me. I don't talk too good. Send someone else. I can't do this. It's going to be too hard. What can we learn from Moses' response? Well, it's probably good for us to see and admit that we've all been there. We've been in places when the people that we love and care for, whether in our church or our families or our neighborhoods, they're struggling. And it's natural for us to ask why. And even sometimes we ask that why question to God and we can turn those negative defeating thoughts and say, why did you send me? Why am I even here? 
Whether you're a parent or a coach or a volunteer or a pastor, you can be tempted to think and operate in this way out of fear. Why did you do this to me, God? I can't help. No one listens to me. I mean, I've never dealt with that here at our church, uh, but I know some friends. No. Um, those are real questions, right? Those are real struggles that we face, and sometimes they're, they're, they're motivated because we love people that are struggling. God calls us to trust in Him. Even when the circumstances are challenging, God calls us to love and care for people, to speak the truth into their lives, whether they respond favorably or unfavorably, whether they take their advice, our advice or they tell us to hit the road. We need to do this with wisdom and love and patience, but we're still called to do it. And their response is not our main concern. We're called to trust God and be faithful. Sometimes we walk through situations in our lives, probably more often than we're willing to admit, we don't know what to do. And the people we're called to lead, whether in our families or our church or our friend group, are in terrible pain. And it's in those times where we can come to God and say, I don't know what to do, Lord. I can't do this alone. Please help me. And isn't it in those times when the grace of God shines into our lives? When we're reminded that we actually need Him. And the longer you live your life, you don't think, well, I I need God less and less. The reality is we need Him more and more. What was God's response? How did God respond um, to this situation? Well, first of all, God wasn't shocked. He isn't caught off guard by the events of Exodus 5 and 6. He responds to Moses and through Moses to the people with a reminder of his plan, his track record, his credentials, basically saying, look what I've done in the past, look what I'm doing now, and look what I'm going to do. And I love verse six, chapter 6, verse 1, where God basically says, watch this. You ever had a friend nudge you when there's an up-and-coming athlete or a prank is about to unfold or someone is about to uh, perform some random eye-popping talent and they say, watch this, watch this. And here, it's as if God is saying, watch this. But the Lord said to Moses, chapter 6, verse 1, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, Pharaoh will send out, even drive out my people from the land. It's just like I said. And here are some of the reasons, basically, that God says you can trust me. First of all, God's track record of faithfulness. Moses, remember who I am. It's a play on words. I am, I am, is what it says. The self-existent God of the universe. Do you remember the burning bush? I am, and I have worked in the past. I've got a track record. I've appeared to Moses, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Almighty God. I established my covenant with them. I promised them in an oath of blood to be their God and for them to be my people. And I worked miraculously through Sarah 
and through Abraham's life to give them a son. And I gave them a sign of my covenant promises to make them a blessing to the nations. And now Moses, you're going to see that promise unfold. I've revealed my name to you and what it means. And you're going to know more and more of the story of my redeeming love. Trust in me. God has a track record of faithfulness. God's current work of faithfulness. He mentions it in in, uh, chapter 6. I heard the cries of my people. I see what's happening. I remembered my covenant. I'm here and I'm active. And then in chapter 6, verse 6 and following, he promises again, since I've worked in the past, since I'm working in the present, remind the people that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. I'm the Lord. I'll bring them out from under their burdens. I'll deliver you from slavery. I'll redeem you. The Egyptians will be judged. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'll take you to be my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land that I promised to you and give it to you as your possession. I am the Lord. And those are the bookends of this whole thing. I am the Lord. He begins. He ends. I am the Lord. And even after that promise, the people don't really listen to what God says. And, and God goes back to Moses and Aaron in verse 13 of chapter 6. And he gives them a charge. And what he says is not mentioned here. But he encourages them and he strengthens them. God is basically uh, saying here, look at who I am. Look at what, I have, what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm promising to do. It's kind of like a credit score. It's not a perfect metric, but it helps identify who a person is. Did they pay their bills in the past? Are they current on their bills now? Should we trust them enough to give them some money? God's track record, his credit score of faithfulness is perfect. Because of who he is and what he's done. What can we learn here? Well, it's good to remember that when we're in a bind and hurting and struggling with fear or God's plan in our life, that it's not really new information that helps us. It's a reminder of who God is and what he's done. We remember what God has done objectively for us on the cross. We remember the sacrifice of Christ, his love, his grace. We remember God's work done in the lives of others and in our lives in the past. And ultimately, we remember these bookends. I am the Lord. And we lean on Him. So that's where we are. That's where we are in the book of Exodus, in God's epic story of redemption unfolding in the life of God's people. The problem is, it wasn't happening as fast as they wanted it to. Now, does that sound familiar? We're faced with frustrations, our plans fall apart, we experience pain and hurt and heartbreak, we feel trapped and troubled and afraid, fear raises its ugly head in our lives and we can easily lash out in anger and bitterness and resentment and unbelief. How can we begin to respond in faith, in faithfulness and hope and trust, in humility and reliance on God? Do we just try harder? Do we just do better? Our response 
hinges on the fact coming back to the most important reality in the universe that God has responded to us in grace and mercy. That while we were yet sinners, what does the Bible say? Christ died for us. That he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on to at all costs. But he willingly gave up heaven and he became a man and he lived a perfect life and he died in our place. God's open door of invitation for us is that in every stage and situation in our lives, we can trust him and rest in him and love him, even when we don't understand. Because we have this pledge of his faithfulness, the cross and the empty tomb. We can trust Him and lean on Him and respond in faith because He first loved us. Let's pray.